Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, and again, welcome to The Grove. If we've not yet been able to meet, my name is Christian. I'm the lead pastor, and we're glad you're joining us for worship today. Uh, We're continuing a series called Church with Attitude. This is a a refresh. This is a a series we did about 18 months ago, and I just wanted to take a couple weeks to remind us of some of the big ideas that we went through back then. And we're doing that because this has everything to do with what it means to be a member of the Grove, a member of a church period, but specifically a member of the Grove. And we started out last week uh, really looking at uh, this idea of trying to describe the core of how we approach church life. We're talking about something we call the heart attitudes. It's the, the core of how we approach things. An angle of approach is an attitude. And so that, that's what we're dealing with. And today, as we looked last week, we looked at the God's angle on the church. And today what we want to do is see the church's angle on God and see how our angle on God really does drive how we approach church life. And as I was thinking about that and, and looking back through some of these key ideas, it got me thinking about seesaws, right? You know what I'm talking about? A teeter-totter, that's another name for it. Uh, here's a picture just to remind you, right? This is a seesaw and uh, you see it at the playground. And it's interesting, I began thinking about playgrounds as well. And you realize there's really two pieces of playground, playground equipment that are cooperative. Most of them are individual, but there's two pieces of playground equipment that are cooperative. There's the merry-go-round, and then there's the seesaw, right? The, the only other playground equipment that I can think of, maybe there's some others that I'm just not thinking of, but where, where you actually need to cooperate with others, and it makes a difference, makes it more or less enjoyable depending on how well people cooperate. Now, as I was going down this rabbit hole thinking about seesaws, trying to find that picture that I just showed you, I, I realized, man, there's a lot of creative ways to make a seesaw. Here's one of my favorites. I want you to check this out, right? The park bench seesaw. Uh, I found that and I thought, well, maybe we need to install one of those outside the new building. So you guys give some thought to that. Maybe we'll, we'll consider doing that. Uh, I also came across this one. This is the world's largest seesaw. Uh, and it's actually only about a six-hour drive away. It's in Casey, Illinois, which is this cute little town that's known for having a number of the world's largest things. There's the world's largest golf tee and the world's largest barbershop pole, uh, all kinds of stuff. And so if you ever need to, to go, you know, go on an adventure over in Illinois, you can go to Casey, Illinois and check out all of these uh, giant uh, objects. Uh, a little fun trivia for you. But Again, why this talk about seesaws? Um, The reason I began thinking seesaws is that when you ride a seesaw, right, one person's angle directly determines the angle of the other person's, right? Like our attitude is directly affected by another, the other person uh, when you're on a seesaw. And, And this is true physically, right? The basic geometry is what I'm talking about. But I began thinking more, right? It's also true when we think in terms of of, of attitude, not, not just the physical attitude, but our mental attitude, the angle of approach. Your partner's attitude towards seesawing makes all the difference, right? I mean, think about it. If, if your partner is enthusiastic, 
then seesawing, getting on a teeter-totter, can be a lot of fun. You're exchanging these ups and downs, and you're having a good time going up and down. You can, I killed all kinds of time as a kid on the seesaw. It can be a lot of fun. But what happens if your partner is disinterested, if that's their attitude? Well, then you just sit there, right? You're, you're not really going anywhere because they're not pushing and you're, you're just sort of stuck. You can't really seesaw by yourself. So if you have a partner who's disinterested, it's not much fun. But what about if your partner is devious, right? Well, if your partner's devious, then your ride comes to a crashing end. That's the nature of seesawing with a devious partner, right? They, they get it to where you're uh, way up high and then all of a sudden they bail and you find yourself coming to a crash. Now, I realize when you think about playground equipment and cooperation, the same kind of problem exists with the merry-go-round, right? That can be a lot of fun when you've got good partners on the merry-go-round, but sometimes then you get that guy that wants to just like fling you off and, and it's not as much of an enjoyable experience. Our attitude in seesawing really does make a difference. And I don't want to take this analogy too far, but I'm talking seesaws because I think it's a helpful image for understanding how attitudes affect each other. And I'm not even just talking about, you know, how one person's attitude in a group of people makes everybody else, you know, either happy or grumpy. And, and we can talk about it that way. But, but I want to think about it more in, in terms of how the way one person approaches something or, or, or the way we uh, deal with something, how that then impacts how another person deals with it, which is, again, an interpersonal thing, but, but even thinking about it on a grander scale in terms of the church. And, and really thinking about it like this, right? Uh, this first point that I want to make is that how we live displays what we believe. How we live displays what we believe, right? Our, our angle in our beliefs is going to dictate our angle in terms of what we do. And this is true when it comes to all kinds of things, from how we eat, to how we sleep, to how we drive. It has to do with how we manage our personal hygiene all the way to how we manage our social media, right? What we believe will display, be displayed in how we live. And this is true not only for us personally, but it's true when it comes to our approach to church. And it should work kind of like a seesaw with God driving the experience. We're a part of it, but God is really driving our experience on this particular seesaw. His angle needs to determine ours. That's where we're coming from, is saying God's approach, we looked at it last week, God's approach to the church needs to then dictate how we go about living. But at the same time, what we believe about God, okay, needs to determine how we live in light of God. And, and so we can say this broader thing that how we live as a church displays what we believe about God. Right? How we live as a church displays what we believe about God. Who we think he is, that, that side of the seesaw, is going to determine how we live, how we then go about carrying out uh, his purposes as a church. And I want to take us back, as we think about that, I want to take us back this early time in the life of the people of Israel, God's people. Uh, there's a point where God is, is kind of helping. He's just pulled them out of Egypt. He saved them, redeemed them out of Egypt. And they're being led by Moses. And, and God's giving them commands. He's, he's helping shape this new community that he's creating with this promise that they're going to enter into what they know as the promised land. 
And at some point in there, the, the people, man, they, they rebel early on. There's all kinds of problems, and, and God is dealing with Moses as the leader of the people. And, and at some point, uh, Moses asks God to display his glory to him. And God says, look, you, you can't handle the fullness of my glory. It wouldn't work for me to, to fully physically display my glory to you. So he actually hides Moses in a rock and he, he passes by Moses and gives him a, a glimpse of it. But in part of displaying his glory, then at some point he speaks to Moses. And this is all part of the same idea. He speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 34. In verses 6 through 7, it says this, that the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. He tells Moses something. What does he start with? He starts with his name, the same name that he first revealed to Moses in the burning bush. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, or I am, I am is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. I'm, man, we could spend weeks just unpacking all that God is revealing here. But I want to very quickly just take us back through, right? What has God just said? This is part of him revealing his glory to Moses. And where does he start? He says, I am the Lord. I am God. And he says, I am full of compassion or mercy in some translations. This is this idea of compassion or mercy. Full of grace. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. And the flip side of that, abounding in faithful love and truth. He says, what is welling up, what is springing out of me is faithful love and truth. And, and I want you to notice, then he goes on and there's this, this linchpin statement. He says, I'm not a pushover, right? What God is revealing about himself is that his judgments are true. He's not going to, to call what's, what's evil good and what's good evil. He doesn't get into that. That's the, what we do as fallen humans. He's saying sin is real and he will, will deal with it. But what flows most readily from God is this faithful love. There's this contrast. I know we get into that last part of it and it gets a little... We're a little confusing, right? Well, wait, he's going to visit the iniquity of, of multi-generations. But what he's getting at is, yes, sin has an impact. It has a generational impact. But notice there's a bigger number here. He's talking third or fourth generation, and it's contrasted with a thousand generations. In other words, yes, there will be an impact of sin, but the, the impact of God's faithful love is that it will swallow up that impact. It, it, will, it will completely envelop the, the consequences of sin. He's, he's laying the groundwork for what we're going to see in Jesus, the one that is described in John as coming full of grace and truth. It's a similar statement. And in fact, this statement about from, from Exodus 34 is picked up again and again and again throughout the Bible, these same ideas. This really was, some scholars describe it as the credo of the Jewish people. If you wanted to know what did they believe about God in a nutshell, this is the statement because this is what God has revealed to them. And so I ask you then, what characteristic comes most naturally to mind 
for you when you're thinking of God and his glory? What, what comes most readily to mind? I wonder, is it compassion and grace? Is it this idea of faithful love? Right, if you're thinking about the glory of God, do you think of compassion and grace? Maybe you do, but then you're, you're prone to leave out the fact that he's, he's true, that he's not going to overlook sin. He will deal with it properly. Right. Author Dane Ortland, in a, a fantastic book, Gentle and Lowly, a good just devotional type book, but, and it's a bit dense, but, but really unpacking uh, this understanding of who is God, what is God's heart. He says this, he says, the Christian life from one angle is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is over many decades fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. You guys, as we walk with God, a, a massive part of our our walking with the Lord is going to be Him slowly but surely changing our understanding, our false understandings of who He is. And as we get a better understanding of who He is, it's meant to shape our living, right? What we believe about Him is meant to shape how we live. And this, this occurs all through the, the Bible. This is how what God intends for us is to show himself to us, reveal who he is to us so that our living is different. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, this is perhaps the, the other most famous uh, statement in Jewish life, kind of describing what it meant to be a, a follower of Yahweh, of the great I am. And in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, we're told, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What does it mean? To, what, what, what impact is that? Well, the, the result of that is then, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hear what he said. This needs to be down deep. This needs to be at the core of who you are. And the expectation was, as you understand who God is, it will then shape you being able to love him with all your heart. Right? An understanding of the character of God down deep in us is meant to shape our living. And throughout the scriptures, God reminds his people that who he is should frame how we live. His angle on us should direct our angle on him. And what we believe is in, about him is displayed in how we live, which is to say, as we are getting back to what we've been talking about, which is to say that the hard attitudes really are just us putting our theology into practice. Okay. The hard attitudes are about us putting our theology into practice. I, I, I make this point. I want to really drive this home because it's easy for us to see a list and, and get into go mode. You know, some of us really love lists. We love bullet points. We love summaries of things, and, and that's good. Others of us could care less, but... At the same time, we're all prone to, when we see a list, to think, okay, well, now I know the rules, right? I know, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. And if we're not careful, very quickly, we start to just see those rules or, or those actions or those practices as sort of just floating out there as just somebody's creation. Even if I was to say, hey, wait, the Bible says 
these are things that are important. We still kind of go, okay, yeah, well, there's just some arbitrary list here. It's important for us to realize that this is a summary. When we talk about the hard attitudes, it is a summary. It's not all that entails being God's people. There's, there's more. But it's meant to be a summary that gets us down the road, as we talked about last week. But it's a summary that flows out of the very heart of God. It flows from the character of God. I want you to, to listen to this description of God's people. 1 Timothy 3.15. This is Paul writing. He's, he's telling him why he's written the instruction that he's given to his protege, Timothy. He says, I've written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. And then listen to how the people are described, that God's church is described, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is called the pillar and foundation of the truth, but it's the church of the living God. The, the implication is God is alive, and because he's alive and because of who he is, the church is different. We are responding to that living God. But the church, God's intention for his people is that we are the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, a pillar in this time is not speaking of a column supporting a load, necessarily. It's not talking about that. It's not that idea, like, oh, we hold up God's truth. In other words, it would crumble without the church. That's not what's being said. Um, and it's talking about a pillar and foundation. It's not dealing with this idea that, again, we are there to make sure that the truth doesn't crumble or fall. Now, the image here is one of a pillar and a foundation of that pillar that is meant to elevate something, to put it on display, to put it in a place of honor. That's the kind of pillar and foundation that the church is. We have the opportunity. We are given the distinct privilege and responsibility to display the truth, the truth about God, which is to say the good news about Jesus, the gospel. That's what's being referred to as the truth. And so like a seesaw, right? Let's step away from the pillar image and use that seesaw, right? Like a seesaw, Jesus, he went low to elevate us. That, that's, that's the gospel. That's this good news truth that Jesus went low, humbled himself to elevate us, to give us life in him. And us as his people, as the church, in humble we then, our life together is about us going in humble submission so that, uh, so that he will be high and lifted up. Right? We, we live in humble submission to him and to one another in order to display the gospel, to, to elevate it, to put it up high where people can see it. That's what we are to be as God's people. And so this summary, you've got a summary there. If you're following along the listening guide, what I want to do very quickly, we're not going to get into all of the, the nuts and bolts of these hard attitudes. There's other resources I can give you and we can walk through those if these are unfamiliar. But, but I want to remind us of this summary of, of what the hard attitudes are all about and show how our angle on church life is really directly tied to who God is and what he does. And last week, we looked at the bookends of this chart. Okay? So I'm, I'm going to hit those first. You see the, the first and the last statements here in this chart. The, the first one is, God is altogether different. And so we are called into a new kind of life together. That is to say... God is Holy Trinity. In other words, He's set apart. He is holy. And so we're called into a new kind of life together. 1 Peter 1.16 says, 
says it is written, be holy because I am holy. Okay, Be holy because I am holy. This is actually a reference. This is a, a quote from Leviticus 11.44 and a number of other places in the Old Testament. Well, we're told that because of who God is, we then are to be a certain way. Be holy because I am holy. So God is altogether different. He is holy. He is Trinity. He, doesn't, he exists in perfect community. So he didn't create us because he needed us. He created us because he wanted to share with us his goodness and his glory. And so then we are called into a new kind of life together. The second part of this is that God is a covenant keeper. We looked at that also last week. He is a covenant keeper. He makes and keeps covenants faithfully, these ongoing commitments. And so we are also called to commit to church membership. We're called to commit to a lot of things, but we're called to commit to church membership. And we, we see this displayed beautifully. One of the descriptions of the church, it, it's referring in part to the, the marriage relationship. But I want us to see like, that, that this has everything to do with how we then regard God's people. Ephesians 5, 27, 25 to 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. We are to regard the church in the same way that Jesus regards the church. And that means as he is committed to the church, sacrificially committed to the church, so we are to be sacrificially committed to the church. I read this week, right? If, if somebody think this kind of this concept, there are people sometimes that say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm not so crazy about the church. And clearly the church isn't perfect and we've got our problems and I get that. But imagine if somebody came to you and said, man, I, I love you, but I, I really don't like your spouse. Right? Like there's going to be a problem there. Take it even further because God's people are also described as the body of Christ. Imagine somebody came to you and said, man, I love you, but I, I hate your body. Like, that's just weird, first of all. Like, why would you say that? But, but there's a problem. There's a, that, that's not okay. Right? That, that we're not those kind of, it, doesn't, it can't exist like that. So what are we called to do? We're called to embrace a life set apart from the rest of the world. It's a life committed to walking with the Lord himself and walking with one another in a way where we know who we can count on. That's that, and who can be counted on? But what's the substance of that commitment? Well, the substance of that commitment in the Grove means that we work at the heart attitudes. It's a way for us to, to talk about the kind of life that every church really is called to. John 13, 34 to 35 says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so heart attitude number one is really just us saying, well, God is love. And so we are to put the goals and interests of others ahead of our own, which is a definition of what it means practically to love. God loved. And so we are to love, to put the goals and interests of others ahead of our own. That's heart attitude number one. That's we set out to look for how can I make other people successful, knowing that as we do that for one another, Everybody is taken care of. Heart attitude number one. 1 John 1, 7 
says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, you see that? He's in the light and so we are to be in the light. And so when we come to heart attitude number two, what we're saying is God is authentic. God is, is who he says he is. He's no, there's no deception in him. He is authentic. He is trustworthy and faithful. He is in the light. That's what that means. And so we live an open and honest life with each other. We're not, real relationships can't flourish when we're, we're putting up masks, when we're hiding from one another. That doesn't mean we can just vomit all over each other and, and know everything all at once. But it means that real good relationships, healthy relationships are developed as we grow in authenticity with one another, in trust, as we build trust, and as we show ourselves faithful in each other's lives. And so that's what we want to do is live an honest and open life with each other. So we move to the third heart attitude. We looked last week at Hebrews 10, 24. It's not on the screen, but we said there that one of the things we're called to do is to provoke one another to love and good deeds. It says earlier in Hebrews, in chapter 3, verse 13, to exhort or encourage one another daily. Heart attitude number three, it really is this same, it is built off of this idea. It's the idea that God is true and wise, right? Because he is true and wise, we then give and receive scriptural correction, okay? Scriptural correction. We're not just throwing out opinions and our own best ideas. And that may, may be helpful. That, that's not off limits. But the key thing is we are a community that wants to say, how do we help as we're lifting up the truth? How do we help apply the truth to one another's lives? And so we're told in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. So we're reminded that God is true and wise. All scripture is inspired by God. In, in other words, it's, it's given. It, it comes from God. It's inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God, it's, it means both, may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, the Word of God, it comes from God. It's Him showing His truth and wisdom. And it's then profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. Well, who's doing the teaching, rebuking, correcting, training? It's not just a few select people. Yes, there are people who have a responsibility. I'm the pastor of the church. I have a responsibility to teach. But we all do this. This is, this is a part of the life of the church, is us training one another, teaching one another, rebuking, correcting, helping, encouraging, building. We're doing that with one another. That's this idea. God is true and wise, so we give and receive scriptural correction. Colossians 3.13. It says, just as the Lord... Uh, has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Here's another statement where God's character shapes our character. Because of what we believe about Him, then we live differently. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. So heart attitude number four is God is a peacemaker, and so we are peacemakers. We clear up relationships. That's the way we say it. We clear up relationships. What we don't let, we don't want relationships to just fester. When, when things get messed up, we clean them up. And if we do this, if we make it a habit, make it a, a, a something that we pursue, man, doesn't mean relationships don't get wonky. It just means they can be really sweet over the long haul. 
Next heart attitude. We're told in 1 Peter 4.10, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. We are the people of God, Christ's body. And we're told throughout the scriptures, God is a gracious worker. He's giver, a giver of grace. But he is a worker, right? He created all things. And so he then invites us to participate in the ministry, to join him in his work. And so we say one of the things we value is participating in the ministry. The ministry is not for a few select people with fancy titles in front of their name. The ministry is what the people of God do week in and week out, day in and day out, in their lives, in their communities, in their workplaces, in their families, all the time. And we do it together as the people of God. We participate in the ministry. Another aspect of this participation, as we're living out being God's body, Christ's body, has to do with our finances. We're told in 2 Corinthians 8 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. There's that seesaw idea again, right? He became poor so that we might become rich. And so here we have heart attitude number six. What we're saying is God is a generous redeemer. That's the truth of the gospel summed up right there in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. God has generously redeemed us. He, he emptied himself, became poor that we might become full, that we might be rich, eternally rich, spiritually rich. And so we understand our lives, we are stewards. And so we're going to support the work financially. We're going to live out what is, is then talked about later in 2 Corinthians, in, in chapter 9. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person's, person should do as he does, has decided in his heart not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Again, because of who God is, then we, we say, wait, if this is how God operates, I want to operate this way as well. And what we find is there is so much more to be found as we live out Jesus' word that's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we, we sow generously so that we will reap generously the goodness of walking with God in his ways. Hard attitude number seven, last one here. We're told in 1 Peter 5, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. Here's where we understand God is king. He is the perfect leader. He, he is the perfect leader. His hand is mighty. And so, because of him, because of what he's done, we follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. God is the perfect leader, but God works through leaders. Leadership is his idea. It doesn't mean that people don't abuse it. It doesn't mean there aren't boundaries. In fact, that's why we say it this way. We follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. Authority is a good thing. It's something God gives. He is the author of authority. But authority needs to, it has boundaries. And so we understand that spiritual leaders have authority within certain boundaries. 
my job as your pastor. That may mean I need to help you understand certain boundaries. But there are all kinds of arenas of your life that I don't, I might have wisdom for you, I might have some input, but it's not, I don't have authority in your life. But when it comes to shepherding the church and leading the church, that's an authority not that I just create for myself, it's authority that's given by God and it's authority that's given by the members of our church as we come together in goodwill and we give of that authority as we set out to follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. Again, these hard attitudes, this core of how we approach things is meant to make life sweet. And I've experienced it over many years, not just our time in the Grove, but, but time prior to that, decade or more prior to that, seeing the goodness of what happens when people live like this, when they take this seriously. Again, we're just trying to live out what God has already revealed about himself, what he's already shown us in his word. And I want to remind us, right, let's go back to just the seesaw. There's a limit to a seesaw, right? There's, there's limits of a seesaw. It's fun, but you don't really go anywhere, right? It, it, it can be fun. You can go up and down, but you're not really going anywhere. When we're talking about walking with God, man, there's no greater ride. God is taking us somewhere, not just somewhere. He's taking us to an eternity that is better than we can hope or imagine. And really, the, it will be what we can only describe as the ride of our lives. But that's a ride that's intended to be shared as a church. And so I want to invite you, again, if you're a member, to renew your membership, to renew this commitment with us. Let's, let's keep marching on together. If you've been coming around and you're thinking about, man, I so want to help you consider even further, what does it mean to be a member of the growth? This may not be the right time. People take different times. That's fine. But I want you to be thinking about it, to consider it. I want to encourage you to think about it, to consider it. Consider what it would mean to be a member of the Grove. Because we, we want to continue to move together and help you grow in the Lord. And we want you to help us grow in carrying out the mission that God has given us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the goodness of, of who you are, for your just abundant compassion and mercy and faithful love. Help us to, to more and more have our idea or our understanding of who you are reshaped to, to match up with what is absolutely true about you. And help us as a church our, for our angle on life to, to really reflect, to be driven by who you are, by your character. God, we thank you that you make a way for us to join you on this ride of life, that you want to, to drive us into a glorious future. We pray for your help. I pray for each person listening and learning that you would guide them, help them take whatever step you're calling them to and help us as a church to help each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.